Chapter 11, Part 3 of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter 11, Part 3 Further Glimpses of Her Dorset Life The following recollections of Mrs. Prentice by her friend, Mrs. Frederick Field, now of San Jose, California, afford additional glimpses of her home life in Dorset. The picture is drawn in fair colours, but it is as truthful as it is fair. It was the first Sunday in September, 1866, a quiet, perfect day among the green hills of Vermont, a sacramental Sabbath, and we had come seven miles over the mountain to go up to the house of the Lord. I had brought my little two-months-old baby in my arms, intending to leave her during the service at our brother's home, which was near the church. I knew that Mrs. Prentice was a summer boarder in this home, that she was the wife of a distinguished clergyman, and a literary woman of decided ability. But it was before the stepping heavenward epoch of her life, and I had no very deep interest in the prospect of meeting her. We went in at the hospitably open door, and meeting no one, sat down in the pleasant family living room. It was about noon, and we could hear cheerful voices talking over the lunch table in the dining room. Presently the door opened, and a slight, delicate-featured woman, with beautiful large dark eyes, came with rapid step into the room, going across to the hall door. But her quick eye caught a glimpse of my little bundle of flannel, and not pausing for an introduction or word of preparatory speech, she came towards me with a beaming face and outstretched hands. Oh, have you a baby there? How delightful! I haven't seen one for such an age. Please, may I take it? A darling little creature. A girl? How lovely! She took the baby tenderly in her arms and went on in her eager, quick, informal way, but with a bright little blush and smile. I'm not very polite. Pray let me introduce myself. I'm Mrs. Prentice, and you're Mrs. F., I know. After a little more sweet motherly comment and question over the baby, a touch of nature, which at once made us akin, she asked, have you brought the baby to be christened? I said, no, I thought it would be better to wait till she was a little older. Oh, no, she pleaded. Do let us take her over to the church now. The younger the better, I think. It is so uncertain about our keeping such treasures. I still objected that I had not dressed the little one for so public an occasion. Oh, never mind about that, she said. She is really lovelier in this simple fashion than to be loaded with lace and embroidery. Then, her sweet face growing more earnest, There will be more of us here today than at the next communion. More of us to pray for her. The little lamb was taken into the fold that day, and I was Mrs. Prentice's warm friend for evermore. Her whole beautiful character had revealed itself to me in that little interview. The quick perception the wholly frank, unconventional manner, the sweet motherliness, the cordial interest in even a stranger, 
the fervent piety which could not bear delay in duty, and even the quaint, original, forcible thought and way of expressing it. There'll be more of us here to pray for her today. For seven successive summers, I saw more or less of her in this earthly paradise, as she used to call it, and once I visited her in her city home. I have been favoured with many of her sparkling, vivacious letters, and have read and re-read all her published writings. But that first meeting held in it for me the keynote of all her wonderfully beautiful and symmetrical character. She brought to that little hamlet among the hills a sweet and wholesome and powerful influence. While her time was too valuable to be wasted in a general sociability, she yet found leisure for an extensive acquaintance, for a kindly interest in all her neighbours, and for Christian work of many kinds. Probably the weekly meeting for Bible reading and prayer, which she conducted, was her closest link with the women of Dorset. But these meetings were established after I had bidden goodbye to the dear old town, and I leave others to tell how their hearts burned within them as she opened to them the scriptures. She had in a remarkable degree the lovely feminine gift of home-making. She was a true decorative artist. Her room when she was boarding and her home after it was completed were bowers of beauty. Every walk over hill and dale, every ramble by brookside or through wildwood gave to her some fresh home adornment. Some shy wildflower or fern or brilliant tinted leaf a bit of moss, a curious lichen, a deserted bird's nest, a strange fragment of rock, a shining pebble, would catch her passing glance and reveal to her quick artistic sense possibilities of use which were quaint, original, characteristic. One saw from afar that hers was a poet's home and, if permitted to enter its gracious portals, the first impression deepened into certainty. There was a strong an individuality about her home, and especially about her own little study, as there was about herself and her writings. A cheerful, sunny, hospitable Christian home. Far and wide its potent influences reached, and it was a beautiful thing to see how many another home, humble or stately, grew emulous and blossomed into a new loveliness. Mrs. Prentice was naturally a shy and reserved woman, and necessarily a preoccupied one. Therefore she was sometimes misunderstood. But those who knew her best, and were blessed with her rare intimacy, knew her as a perfect woman, nobly planned. Her conversation was charming. Her close study of nature taught her a thousand happy symbols and illustrations which made both what she said and wrote a mosaic of exquisite comparisons. Her studies of character were equally constant and penetrating. Nothing escaped her. No peculiarity of mind or manner failed of her quick observation. But it was always a kindly interest. She did not ridicule that which was simply ignorance or weakness, and she saw with keen pleasure all that was quaint, original or strong even when it was hidden beneath the homeliest garb. 
she had the true artist's liking for that which was simple and genre. The common things of common life appealed to her sympathies and called out all her attention. It was a real hearty interest too, not feigned, even in a sense generally thought praiseworthy. Indeed, no one ever had a more intense scorn of every sort of feigning. She was honest, truthful, genuine, to the highest degree. It may have sometimes led her into seeming lack of courtesy, but even this was a failing which leaned to virtue's side. I chanced to know of her once calling with a friend on a country neighbour, and finding the good housewife busy over a rag carpet, Mrs. Prentice, who had never chanced to see one of these bits of rural manufacture in its elementary processes, was full of questions and interest, thereby quite evidently pleasing the unassuming artist in assorted rags and homemade dyes. When the visitors were safely outside the door, Mrs. Prentice's friend turned to her with the exclamation, What tact you have! She really thought you were interested in her work. The quick blood sprang into Mrs. Prentice's face, and she turned upon her friend a look of amazement and rebuke. Tact, she said. I despise such tact. Do you think I would look or act a lie? She was an exceedingly practical woman, not a dreamer. A systematic, thorough housekeeper, with as exalted ideals in all the affairs which pertain to good housewifery, as in those matters which are generally thought to transcend these humble occupations. Like Solomon's virtuous woman, she looked well after the ways of her household. Methodical, careful of minutes, simple in her tastes, abstemious, and therefore enjoying evenly good health in spite of her delicate constitution. This is the secret of her accomplishing so much. Yet all this foundation of exactness and diligence was so rounded with leafy gracefulness that she never seemed angular or unyielding. With her children, she was a model disciplinarian, exceedingly strict, a wise lawmaker, yet withal a tender, devoted, self-sacrificing mother. I have never seen such exact obedience required and given or a more idolised mother. Mamma's word was indeed law, but, oh, happy combination, it was also gospel. How warm and true her friendship was, how little of selfishness in all her intercourse with other women, how well she loved to be of service to her friends, how anxious that each should reach her highest possibilities of attainment. I record with deepest sense of obligation the cordial, generous, sympathetic assistance of many kinds extended by her to me during our whole acquaintance. To every earnest worker in any field she gladly lent a hand, rejoicing in all the successes of others as if they were her own. But if weakness or trouble or sorrow of any sort or degree overtook one, she straightway became as one of God's own ministering spirits, an angel of strength and consolation. Always more eager, however, that souls should grow than that pain should cease. Volumes could be made of her letters to friends in sorrow. One tender monotone steals through them all. Come unto me, my kindred, I enfold you in an embrace to sufferers only known. 
close to this heart i tenderly will hold you suppress no sigh keep back no tear no moan thou man of sorrows teach my lips that often have told the sacred story of my woe to speak of thee till stony griefs i soften till hearts that know thee not learn to know till peace takes place of storm and agitation till lying on the current of thy will there shall be glorying in tribulation and christ himself each empty heart shall fill few have the gift or the courage to deal faithfully yet lovingly with an erring soul but she did not shrink back even from this service to those she loved i can bear witness to the wisdom penetration skill and fidelity with which she probed a terribly wounded spirit and then said with tender solemnity i think you need a great deal of good praying o oh, banished hand still beckon to us from the eternal heights o oh, voice that is still speak to us yet from the shining shore still let thy mild rebuking stand between us and the wrong and thy dear memory serve to make our faith in goodness strong. End of chapter 11, part 3